This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. We've been teaching a series on uh, reigning in life. We want to go a little bit further with that this morning. Paul speaking by the Holy Ghost in verse 17. And he's making a comparison between that which happened when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden and that which was restored when Jesus came to the earth and provided himself a sacrifice for us on the cross. So he says in verse 17, For if by one man, speaking of Adam's offense, death, and he's talking about spiritual death, he can't be talking about physical death because Adam didn't die the day that he sinned, but he did die. He didn't die physically the day that he sinned, but he did die spiritually that day. For if by one man's, one man's offense, death, spiritual death, reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace. The word much more means it's even more true. The word much more in the Greek literally means it shouldn't be compared, but it's the best comparison we can come up with. But it's so far separate that they really shouldn't be in the same sentence. Much more they which receive to take hold of or to act on the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness Those shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. We've made this uh, statement before, but I think it bears repetition. Uh, And that is, I think a lot of things bear repetition. But nevertheless, the Bible is saying without question that through the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace, we can just identify what those are and take hold of those things. Victory belongs to that individual in every area of life. There's nothing else reigning in life could mean. Much more, they which receive, to take hold of but to act on. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. How does the, uh, how does the gift of righteousness come? Notice it says the gift of righteousness. It didn't say growing in righteousness. Did you know you can't grow in righteousness? When you were born again, you were made righteous according to the Bible. You were made righteous by the blood of Jesus. You can't grow in that. Now, you can grow in the knowledge of that. You can grow in the understanding of that. But you can't grow in righteousness itself because that's the nature that you are changed unto. Okay, well, what's the other thing? The other thing is receiving, taking hold of and acting on the abundance of grace. What is grace? You'll have all kinds of definitions about grace. My definition of grace is the finished work of Jesus. Because everything God did for us, he did according to his grace, the Bible says, and that came by the finished work of Jesus. So whatever Jesus purchased for us, whatever Jesus did for us, that's what the grace of God is. So if you take hold of everything that Jesus did for you and recognize that you have been made righteous, you're not going to be righteous someday when you get to heaven, but you've been made righteous now, that attitude, that action that comes from that understanding will cause you to reign in life. Now look with me to, to, uh, we're here in chapter 5, look back with me to the first couple of verses of the chapter. Notice the context that Paul says this in. Therefore being justified. I'm reading from the King James. The Greek literally says, therefore having been justified. In other words, it's already, it's already happened. It's already taken place. He's writing to people that have been justified. He's writing to people that have been born again. He's writing to people that have been made righteous. Having been justified literally means having been made righteous. Justifying or being justified or the process of justification is the new birth. You are made righteous through the justification that comes from making Jesus the Lord of your life. So having been justified means he's saying, therefore, since you've been made righteous, 
Now, with that in mind, think about verse 17 again. Much more they which receive the abundance of grace and gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. When we look back at verse 1, he's telling people you've already been made righteous. He's not talking to somebody about someone that they can't be. He's talking about what belongs to them because of what's already happened. Verse 17 should apply to them now. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, by Jesus, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Two things he makes mention of as prerequisites or conditions for reigning in life in verse 17, the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace. Verses 1 and 2 says, uh, say that we have received by faith the gift of righteousness and by faith we have access into, this, into the abundance of grace. So it's faith is the key. Faith is the key. What is faith? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is not how you feel. Righteousness is not according to whether or not you feel worthy. Righteousness is according to that which you believe, which you can't see or feel. Well, what can, what do we know based on what we can't see or what we can't feel? The Bible says you've already been justified and made righteous by the blood of Jesus. In other words, righteousness is yours whether you ever feel righteous a day in your life. And this abundance of grace, the finished work of Jesus is yours, whether you ever feel like it's yours or not. Healing is yours whether you ever feel healing power or not. Prosperity and provision is yours whether you ever feel rich or not. Justification from sin is yours whether you ever feel justified or not. Or feel worthy to have been justified. It's all by faith. But it really comes down to, is the word true or not? If the word is true, you have the capacity. Every Christian, every believer, every child of God has the capacity to reign in life in every area. Well, then what does the devil use to keep you from taking hold of that? What does the devil use to keep you from reigning in life? Wrong thinking. Well, then if that's true... Bible says pull down strongholds. A lot of people are thinking that means pull down the devil's territory. Pray, oh, get into this special kind of prayer that only a few select few can do. And boy, then you can pull down the devil's territory. You can really pull down the devil's strongholds. Folks, the strongholds the Bible talked about are between your ears. (laughs) Pulling down strongholds by thinking right. Changing your thinking. Changing your thinking. Now, folks, I want to, I want to really impress upon you this reality. I want you to, to be established in the reality that it's wrong thinking that keeps you out of what belongs to you. And wrong thinking is the only thing that can keep you out. So the strongholds that the Bible talks about, or the, the, the walls, the boundaries that the devil tries to place around you to keep you hemmed in or to keep you from taking, taking hold of, uh, taking possession of what Jesus already paid for. For example, healing, well-being in every area. Comes down to you changing your thinking to overcome him. Now, turn back with me to Matthew chapter 16. We looked at this last week. If you were with us, you may recall. But I, I want to look at it again. 
Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And the answers are really kind of interesting because most of them have to do with reincarnation. The disciples answered and said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. He's already been beheaded. Some say you're Elijah. He left in the whirlwind, the chariots of fire, hundreds of years ago. Others say Jeremiah. We know Jeremiah died and was buried, or one of the other prophets. Now, one of the other prophets is unclear to me whether it means one of the prophets of old or you're just a new prophet. I'm not sure which one they mean by that. But I wouldn't expect Jews particularly to come up with any of those because they don't believe in reincarnation. I guess that means nobody knows who you are. But then Jesus turns it around and says, but who do you say I am? Verse 15. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ means Messiah. Christ means anointed one. Christ means anointed one. He's talking about the Messiah. Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Think about what that means. That means you don't believe this because you saw the miracles. Because that's something flesh and blood would have revealed. You don't believe this. You're not claiming this because of what you've seen. It's not the miracles that make people believe. The miracles may encourage people's belief, but it doesn't make them believe. Look at Israel. They saw miracles over and over and over again, and they refused to believe. Miracles won't do it in and of itself, but they can sure support something that you've got from the inside. So he said, it's my father that's shown you this, not the miracles. And I say unto thee, verse 18, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Now, he's not talking about Peter being the rock. Dear Lord, wouldn't we be in a mess if Peter was the rock? Peter was in and out. Well, what rock does he mean? The knowledge that Jesus is the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this knowledge, the knowledge of who Jesus is, I'll go even further, the knowledge of what Jesus accomplished as the Messiah, as the anointed one, the Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, folks, can I ask you a question? Do you believe the church is exhibiting the power that Jesus intended for it to, to exhibit or show forth or manifest when he said he would build his church? Is this the church that Jesus is building, in other words? And that's a tough question, isn't it? Jesus said, upon this rock, the knowledge of, G- of who he is as the Messiah and what he accomplished. We've already talked about what he paid for. Isaiah 53, 5 says he paid for three things. Sin, literally spiritual death, sickness, and poverty. Upon this rock, knowing who he is, what he was sent to do, and what he accomplished. Is this the church that Jesus is intended to build? Anybody want to jump out there and say no? We all know that the answer is no. Nobody really wants to say it. Sounds kind of bad to say it, doesn't it? Okay, let's all agree. We won't say it, but we all know it's no. All right, then here's the next question. Why is the church not what Jesus intended to build? What's the problem? Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking on the part of the church. In other words, the stronghold that the devil uses through wrong thinking, by establishing wrong thinking, a pattern of wrong thinking in your life and in mine, to keep us from stepping over into what belongs to us, to establish a boundary 
a wall, if you will, that keeps us from stepping over into what Jesus purchased for us to enable us to reign in life is the same thing that he's done not only on an individual level, but on a corporate level where the church as a whole is concerned. It all comes down to the same thing, wrong thinking. But Jesus said upon this rock, the knowledge of who he is and what what he accomplished, he would build his church. And notice what he said about his intent to build the church. He said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I'm really not worried too much about the devil attacking me with a gate. A gate is not an offensive weapon. Oh, but Pastor Mike, the fiery darts of the wicked. Yeah, you know what most of those fiery darts are? Wrong thoughts. Yeah, there's some circumstance. There's some adversity we're going to have to deal with. Jesus said so, but he said, don't be concerned about it. I've overcome the world. In other words, that's part of reigning in life is overcoming the fiery darts of the wicked by holding up the shield of faith. In other words, by faith, you have access into this grace, the finished work of Jesus, wherein we stand. It all ties together. It's not different messages. It's one message spoken in different ways. Well, why are the gates important? Because the gates are the the part of the strongholds that keep you out of thinking right to take hold of what belongs to you. And notice what it says. It says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One translation says, well, more than one, but uh, several translations say, shall not hold out against it. I like that. The gates of hell shall not hold out against it. The gates of hell shall not hold out against it. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, that's provision. That's the penalty or the... uh, Uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty, and by his stripes you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. You know what F.F. Um, uh, F. Bosworth used to say something? Brother Hagin used to make this statement about him. He said, F.F. F. Bosworth would say, feed your faith and starve your doubts. Now, we don't have any examples in, uh, in the Old Testament about Israel besieging other enemies, cities. But what we do have is we've got an example in the book of Joshua about Israel taking hold of the promised land. Now, the promised land represents everything that belongs to us through the finished work of Jesus. Israel came out of uh, Egypt. God enabled them to cross the Red Sea on dry land. You remember that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that the crossing of the Red Sea was a type of salvation. That's where they were delivered from the bondage or the, the that which represented sin and death. 
and their enemy was destroyed. Now, in our case, our enemy, the devil, hasn't been destroyed in the sense that he doesn't exist anymore, but his power has been destroyed by Jesus. Well, if his power has been destroyed, why do we have so much trouble with the devil? Wrong thinking. We're not taking hold of the abundance of grace. It all comes down to the same thing, folks. Well, if the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea and coming out of Egypt is a type of salvation, what is taking the promised land a type of? Some people will say, well, the promised land is heaven. Well, you're not going to have any enemies to fight in heaven. That can't be the example. There were enemies in the promised land. It belonged to somebody else. It was somebody else's territory that God instructed his people to take hold of because he said it belonged to them. You remember the story how the 12 spies went in and looked at the land. They said, it sure doesn't look like it belongs to us. A lot of fruit, a lot of things are just like God said. But boy, there are people that have big armies over there and their cities have giant walls around them. It doesn't look like it belongs to us. That's where the devil tries to stop us. Yeah, but the Bible says that the promised land was theirs. Yeah, but everything they saw with their natural eye, everything they heard with their natural ear, everything they felt about what they saw and what they heard said it's not ours. Yet God said that it was. So who's right? Both can't be right. Who's right? That's the operation of faith. Faith says I believe God no matter what I see or feel. But the children of Israel are going into the promised land. The promised land is a type of, it's an example of everything that belongs to us as believers in Christ here on the earth. It's an example of or a type of the Holy Ghost, baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's a type of healing. It's a type of prosperity. It's a type of well-being in every area. Now, why did God give us an example of how Joshua led the children of Israel to take the promised land? Because it's an example of how you take your promised land. Healing, prosperity, and righteousness. Righteousness in the sense of walking in it, not just being made righteous. Now, what did Joshua do? What did the children of Israel do? Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 16 again. It says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The walls of Jericho are a perfect example of the gates of hell. Perfect example of the gates of hell. They've got a wall around this city that nobody can penetrate. Archaeologists have told us that this wall was 10 stories high and 50 feet deep. That'd be 100 feet high, 50 feet deep. The size of a 10-story building high, but then even if the wall falls down, it's still five stories high. Pretty big wall. No wonder they were bothered by it. What did they do? God gave Joshua instruction to walk around the city one time every day for six days, and on the seventh day, walk around seven times. And at the end of that seventh time, he gave Joshua instruction, once you do all those things, after the seventh time, on the seventh day, shout, for the victory is yours. Well, wouldn't it have been stupid for everybody to walk around the wall the first day and come back to camp that night and say, well, boy, that didn't work. Yet that's what Christians do. They'll stick their toe into the water and say, well, okay, we'll give this a try. Yeah, that didn't work at all. They went out the second day, walked around the wall one time. What if they'd given up after the second day? Wouldn't have worked. And they could have gone away saying, just like many Christians do, well, we just don't understand. I guess the Bible's not for today. I guess everything in God's word is not 
really literal for us to take hold of. Third day, same thing. Fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, same thing. At the end of the seventh day, they walked around seventh time. Joshua said, shout, for the city is yours. He said, shout, for the city is yours. He said, shout, for the city is yours. Now, folks, between the time that he said shout and they shouted, which would be just momentary, they have every opportunity to look at the wall and say, huh? Wall's still there, Joshua. All this walking around the city has gone to your head. Can't you see the wall is still there? Folks, the city wasn't theirs because the wall was down. The city was theirs because God's word said it was theirs. Thinking, either right thinking or wrong thinking. So what did they do? They shouted, and the Bible says the walls fell down flat in their place. Now, what in the world does that mean? As I said before, if the wall, the 10-story wall, had fallen flat like that, straight out or straight in, they'd still have 50 feet of wall to climb. That wouldn't have helped them much. 50 feet is still too much for them to handle. That's not what happened. Well, what did happen? The earth opened up and the walls fell straight down like they traveled in an elevator. Ten stories. So that now the plane is flat. Can you imagine being inside the city and watch the walls go? (laughs) Sitting inside saying, they can't get to us. Now, folks, city after city after city, they took in different ways, but city after city after city, the promised land was occupied, was taken hold of. These gates, or literally the walls of Jericho, could not prevail against God's word. That's what Jesus is saying upon this rock, the knowledge of who he is and what he accomplished. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. Shall not be able to hold out against it. City after city after city, Joshua took them. There were only two times, two occasions that deserve mentioning, and that was where they ran into trouble. The first was when somebody in the camp disobeyed God, a guy named Achan, disobeyed God and took some of the stuff from Jericho and hid it in his in his tent. God said, city of Jericho is like a tithe to me. Don't take anything for yourself. You leave that for me. All the rest of the promised land is yours. It's a type of the tithe. Well, Achan didn't do that. Achan saw some of the gold and, and really the stuff that he took, a couple of garments and a little bit of gold, didn't amount to anything. But it caused Israel to suffer their first and only defeat in the promised land. And it was a minor skirmish, but they, they were defeated. Several, uh, a few, you know, small band was defeated and Joshua said, whoa, what is going on here? This is not the way this is supposed to work. We're not supposed to lose anybody. We're not supposed to ever lose. You know, Joshua could have looked at that and said, well, okay, we lost this, but we took Jericho. You know, we, we're still got a winning record here. But no, he said, we're not supposed to lose anybody. We're not supposed to ever be defeated. We're supposed to reign all the time. What is going on? And God said, well, there's somebody in your camp that's sold. God tells him who it was. What did they do? They wiped their family out. Wiped them out. Killed everybody in the family. Nope. Not going to let the rest of you, not going to let your family hold out the rest of us from the promised land. We spent 40 years in the wilderness already. We're not spending any more time in defeat. So they, they just wiped them out. Did away with them. 
Now, the only other time that they didn't take hold of the promised land like they were supposed to was when the Gibeonites deceived them. They sent two people out, and they dirtied up their clothes, made it look like they came from a long way off, and they they took their wineskins and and made them real old-looking and stuff like that. And when they got there, some of the people asked, well, who are you and where did you come from? Oh, we came from so far away. We didn't think we were going to make it. Well, what are you doing here? We heard about you and your victory at Jericho, and we wanted to make sure that we made a treaty with you before you started coming over into our land. We live so far away, you might not ever get there, but still we wanted to make a treaty so that you wouldn't harm us. It says that they did not take counsel of the Lord and they made a treaty with these people. Then they found out they were just one city over. So now they got a treaty with a city they're supposed to take and capture. Those were the only two times, only two times in the example that the Bible gives us of how to reign in life. How to take hold of the promised land blessings. Those are the only two examples. One is when they disobeyed God's word. Interestingly enough, it had, it was related to that which represents the tithe, but you read your own meaning into that. And then secondly, when they didn't take counsel with the Lord and they allowed themselves to be deceived. So there's only two things, according to the Bible example, that can keep you from reigning in life. Disobeying God. And allowing yourself to be deceived. Otherwise, God's provided for you to have victory in every area. Now, that's what it says. Did I leave you in Matthew? Verse 18 again, and I say unto you, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the knowledge of who Jesus is, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail or hold out against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of, literally the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I I can't leave this without making mention of the fact that reigning in life has a lot to do with what you decide you will allow or refuse. Notice it starts with you. It does not start with heaven. It starts with you, and heaven backs you up with whatever your decision is. You refuse sickness in your life, heaven will back you up. You allow sickness in your life, heaven says, okay, your call, your life, your call. You refuse to allow poverty in your life because Jesus paid the price for it. Heaven says, we'll back you up on that. Now, what does it mean for heaven to back you up? I can't help but believe that that's the work of angels. We're teaching a lot on angels here on Wednesday nights, and so I'm starting to see angels a lot of places that I wouldn't have thought to otherwise. But what would heaven backing you up mean? Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What does that mean? Okay, you refuse to allow sickness in your life, so God won't allow sickness in heaven. Folks, there is no sickness in heaven. It doesn't mean he's going to stop something there. It means heaven backs you up. Heaven's power backs you up on your decision. You refuse to allow poverty in your life. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you'll never be attacked with sickness. It doesn't mean you'll never be attacked with poverty. It means you refuse to let it stay because Jesus paid the price. Then heaven backs you up. When Jesus was here on the earth, he gave his disciples authority to heal in his name. When he was raised from the dead, he sent them forth in his name to do the same healing works. We see all through the book of Acts, the disciples who then became apostles using the name of Jesus. And the apostles said that the power to heal was in the name and not in them. That authority to heal in the name of Jesus still exists today for you and I to use. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. So faith begins where the will of God is known. God's Word reveals His will to you. And once you know His will, there is nothing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. That is the number one problem, the number one objection that everybody has, no matter what the area is, healing or whatever, that is the number one objection that people have. They don't know if it's God's will for them. Well, how are we going to find out? The answer is in the Word. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.